Hey guys, it's Chris. I am jumping in before the episode begins to let you know that we had a little audio glitch this week while we were recording the episode during the time when we were answering emails. We realized that our our board was causing some hisses and pops that made the recording pretty pretty cancerous to listen to. Uh, it's hard to keep everything grounded and shielded when you're in a moving car. It is the nature of such a show. At any rate, Hunter is going out of town for a week or so and won't be able to meet up with me to re-record or answer those questions, so I'm going to do as good of a job as I can on my own. Uh, Of course, I am recording this on Friday, so quickly just wanted to say that our thoughts and our prayers, of course, go out to uh, the members of the Muslim community in New Zealand and in Christchurch specifically. This was an unmitigated act of evil perpetrated by an obvious white supremacist, and it is endemic of the, an ideology, any ideology, that chooses to look at characteristics of groups uh, as opposed to the specific actions of individuals. You know, I, where we might disagree on religion, I can say for certain that you know, Muslims praying in mosques are at least attempting to appeal to a higher power. And that's something that I respect. And the fact that anyone would go and shoot them uh, and massacre them, women, children, men, I think there's 49 dead was the last count, simply because of, you know, their the religion that they chose to pursue is absolutely sick. And uh, I'm deeply saddened by it. And Although there's going to be a lot of opportunistic pot shots taken uh, by members of the media and already has been by members of the Democratic Congress about why this is Trump's fault or NRA's fault, I think it's important to remember that uh, it's whenever we prejudge based on any type of characteristic that isn't the independent individual actions of individuals were to blame for this kind of thinking. So anyhow, thoughts and prayers, Christchurch. And enjoy the episode, and I'll be back at the end with our answers to a couple emails. The show's called Carpooling. Yep. Don't forget, because it's our name and carpooling. Are we still are we still really calling yes, it that? Yes, yes, yes. I don't want to have to explain it to you again. Well, it's very simple. You know, I've just I've been thinking of a lot of different names, Hunter. Okay, lay them on me. Oh, right now though. Now um, though. <laughs> I was thinking, what if we called it I'm just yes manning like you're supposed to, Chris. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes, right, right, right. yes and, yes and. Yes, yes. Not yes, yes manning, yes anding. Yes anding. Uh, I was thinking about calling the show Yes And. That's a terrible name. Thank you. But it's also... Yes. We also do a lot of Yes And... We got to the next point. Seems like a great time to do just that. <laughs> Segway! Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, man, it's a it's a warm one out there, and uh, we're in good spirits. Hey, you notice one thing we never do in our show? Yep. We never introduce... We t- yes, and... And... I'm excited for you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am too. And we never we never tell people what the show is about at the top. We just expect you to basically have listened to the first episode oh, and yeah. keep up. Maybe we should do that? Maybe we should ad-lib our way through a, a slapdash haphazard slogan right now. Let me give it a shot. Okay, I'm ready for it. Thanks for joining us for Carl Pulling, a show that examines conservative politics, religious theory, the latest advances in science, and... Enlightenment philosophy, all from the cab of a moving Honda Civic. 2010. You are so almost there. 2010. If you don't say 2010, people will get the wrong idea. This They'll... guy is confused as all get out. You see this guy trying to merge his, right now? I saw his face. He's he is like so curious about what we're doing. All right, he's giving okay. us the thumbs up. All okay. right. Should we? Uh, 
We need a, we need a we need a mic on a pole. Oh, we need a mic on a pole to go get other cars. Come on, talk to me. Um, all right, oh, this guy's gonna cut in. So at any rate, uh, let me start off the show by saying I have a couple of corrections to make. I know dun, you guys dun, think dun. that I'm never wrong, Not and true. you're right. No, as far as. 98% yes, of the concerned. Yes, and, and that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so anyway, um, two things to correct. One of them is a full-on correction. I absolutely misspoke. Uh, I actually did, uh, it's kind of a classic move on me. I mixed my dickheads. Uh, <laughs> last week, I said that it was Steve King who wasn't in office in Alabama because Republicans care about uh claims of sexual misconduct that was incorrect obviously i was talking about roy moore that's not to say that steve king isn't a dickhead those of you will recall that steve king is the specific dickhead that said that he didn't understand why white nationalism was offensive and uh, has been removed from all of his committee assignments so anyhow rough there mr king different different dickheads but the point still stands yeah uh, Hunter, anything you want to add about that? No, just I, I remember the whole King story when it broke. Uh, I think the nice thing about that was just how quickly everyone was like, ah, nope, that's not a thing anymore. The regrettable part is now it makes everything that Mr. King said previously in a very, very awful, nasty light. And it is pretty bad that it kind of took us this long to figure it out. But the good thing has been done. He said something that clearly crossed the line, and he's been pushed out of his committee assignments, as he should have been. Yep, absolutely. Uh, as opposed to the lovely Ilhan Omar. Still waiting. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, call me some 41, because I'm still over here waiting. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm out. I'm out. The I don't do the show anymore. The second I wanted to make isn't actually a correction, uh, but I did say something. I, I basically uh, added a sky comma to a sentence where I definitely meant to use the word and, I said that the Women's March was organized by Linda Sarsour, convicted terrorists, and what I meant was and a convicted terrorist, not that Linda Sarsour was a convicted terrorist. Of course, I was take, talking about uh, Resmea Youssef Odeh, uh, pronunciation is questionable here, and as I'm sure our astute and erudite and learned listeners will recall, was a member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine that was involved in a bombing in 1969 in Jerusalem, killing two, injuring nine, a 21-year-old, and I, I think a 22-year-old. So anyway, killed some, killed some Jews at school, was sentenced to life in prison in Jerusalem, and then was transferred to the PFLP uh, in a prisoner exchange. So... At any rate, now she organizes feminist protests in America. What a gem. What a gem. Okay, so, corrections out of the way. Hunter. Yeah, dude. Putting you on the spot. Okay, I'm on it. Do you have some roadkill this week? Uh, you sent me something, and I didn't look at it ever. Um, I will tell you what it was. Oh, okay. man, I have to remember, though. I think it was Alyssa Milano. Was it Alyssa Milano? I didn't look at it ever. Hurry, fam. <laughs> oh, uh... So, to those listeners who do not know, we have to introduce our segments. And it turns out Roadkill is the first segment we ever decided to do on this show that repeats. Um, Roadkill's pretty cool. Basically, this show is pretty thoughtful, and, you know, we get in-depth, and we talk really, really deeply about different subjects. But that can get a little boring sometimes, and we totally feel that. So we like to liven it up a little bit by finding something in theme with the show that we refer to as Roadkill. It's dead already. We don't need to do anything to it, but it's just good fun to see it. So, well, ooh, that sounded bad. Is it good fun to see Roadkill? Ew. Well, today, depending on how how much you like um, the female genitalia and or sugary confections, it might be. This is from Amanda Prestigiacomo over at the Daily Wire, actress Deborah Messing posts empower, empowering vagina cupcakes, gets trashed as transphobic, and issues an apology. Oh so my God. I, I, I did unfortunately look at a picture of these cupcakes. Oh. On International Women's Day, Deborah Messing, not Alyssa Milano to be clear, oh. Deborah Messing made or reposted, I think, reposted a uh, quite unappetizing look of, looking batch of uh, cupcakes that were decorated so as to look like uh, the female vulva. Mm-mm. Of course, we know there's a difference between a vulva and a vagina. Mm. Welcome to my TED Talk. Um, oh, no. At any rate, uh, 
like they were and they were all different colors, all different shapes, all different sizes. Some of them had sprinkles for hair. It was so unfortunate. Oh, and then no. Then of course, because it's 2019, Hunter, obviously, right. Some women have penises. Right. And she was excluding those trans women from International Women's Day. She uh, apologized. She made her big mea culpa on her Instagram account saying Ugh. that she realized how she was uh, out of line. Uh, Can brilliant. I, yeah, that is just... Ugh, that's... That's something. Do you know I, what's super empowering, Hunter, <laughs> for women? What's that? Is making sugary confections resemble your genitalia. Oh my god, I, it's I so, hate you so much. It's so respectable. Isn't this the same thing happened to with the Women's March people who were wearing the P-word hats? Yeah, like, I mean, basically. Yeah, like, I mean... A bunch of people came out against them and were like, hey, your P-word hats, you know, aren't cool because there are some women that don't have vaginas. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, but, but it, we're, we're so lost on this debate. We're so confused because it's, it's, we don't even know how to have a public discourse on this anymore it's, because the rules are, the rules are just garbage at this point. It's completely ignorant. Yeah. I, I, like, it's like these, these feminists that take off their tops to fight the patriarchy. It's like, oh no, you got us. Foiled <laughs> again. However, will we continue to objectify women and treat them as subhuman? Didn't we have to... they present themselves naked as pieces of meat? Bill, uh, didn't we have to pay for this? <laughs> I didn't see any cover charge. She got mad when I tried to tip. Exactly, right? <laughs> it's Jeez. so stupid. It's ridiculous. Right. Uh, if you're a feminist, um... At me. At me. At me. And, we can talk. Uh, Thanks for listening to the show. If Thank you for listening to the show. That's really, really appreciate I mean. that open mind. And uh, you can find our step to step step by step guide to remove blue hair dye over on our website, carlpooling.com. I didn't know we still had that. We don't. Uh, that being said, I just wanted to listen to more of the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's jump face first into today's topic. Hunter, hit me with it. What are we talking about today? Oh my gosh, we have we got a rip roar one, guys. Uh, <laughs> I've never said, heard someone say the rip, word rip roar less enthusiastically. We've got such a rip roar. So we're this is NPR. <laughs> we have such a rip roar for you all today. Is why, that good? Why are all of our shows simultaneously not informative and also ASMR centric? This is Chris Carl, NPR News. So, to get back to, to the thing we do, uh, we're actually going, I, I honestly, I don't even want to, like, really touch on what it is we're talking about it in-depthly, because I feel like we have so much to kind of talk off, talk about this. Sure. I feel like we're actually going to go for a little while on this, and maybe just kind of see where we get. Okay. But essentially, the big topic me and Christopher want to talk about is creation. Creation. And, like... The, there's a lot there because we're talking about the creation of the universe. We're going to talk about the myths that are about the, that you know speak to the creation of the universe. We're going to talk about that what science says about the creation of the universe. We have so many different avenues to go through this. It's a really, really huge topic, and I don't even know. I, I don't even want to, but I don't want to put any like parameters. I, I want to have the I want to have the conversation. I want to have it correctly, and I don't know how long it's going to take us. So I don't even want to say what we're going to discuss today because I just kind of want to feel our way through it, if that sort of makes sense. Okay. Well, I think when you're talking about creation, you either have to. Well, okay. Here's the first thing yeah. that you have to do. Yeah. You have to admit that you cannot speak definitively. Step one: can't speak definitively. And, and the reason is because uh, I am a man of science, and there is no proper way to study things that happened in the past. And I'll explain to you what I mean. Work, walk with me through this thought experiment. This is a very fun thought experiment that has gotten me kicked out of uh, physics classes before. This is a Join true me. statement. <laughs> yeah. So, the, the models that we use to study the origin of the universe are built on a substructure of the laws of physics as we know them. This is evidently true. So what... That, that's also true for everything we study. Like, it, we're using laws based on what we can see. Right. And we use... We use the these extremely advanced computers with particle collision and generation characteristics to... And, and we load in the laws of physics basically into this computer simulation and we run the clock backwards and say, okay, if this is how things are set up 
now if we run the clock backwards what happens and you we use things like background radiation you know basically a ubiquitous three degree background radiation that's seen cr across the universe and uh, the motion of distant stars where we know their flux and their their um, different different chemical peaks so we can measure their blue shift redshift to see how fa fast they're moving away from us to judge expansion and we load in the laws of gravity the laws of uh, um, the weak and strong nuclear force the rules of electromagnetism and we say okay you've got your particle playground run backwards see where this gets us right now one of the key laws that our universe is built on as far as physics is concerned is conservation of mass energy and the space-time continuum right these things are linked in uh, intrinsically together and the other thing that we know because of the way that these laws interact and you can do this yourself mathematically I won't prove it out on the show send me an email and I'll send you uh, the hard the hard numbers but effectively we know that mass warps space this is why effectively why we observe gravity to exist right if you have a supermassive object it warps space around it that's why we can see stars that appear to the light from the stars the photons seem to dip around planets right they're being pulled in through uh through the warping of the fabric of, of space yep so uh basically what we're getting at here is the second and third laws of thermodynamics give or take which state effectively that matter and energy cannot be created nor destroyed they can only change forms uh, we've never observed matter to come into being. We have observed matter to be turned into energy. Think of burning a log, for instance. You take solid, you ignite it by adding basically kinetic energy to it, and then you, the byproducts are plasma, which is the flames that you see, and heat energy, which is kinetic energy moving through the universe, and then the, and the air especially, and then the heat is... Um, the log is consumed, basically, is what right. I'm trying to say. Yeah, the log gets atoms. turned into the... into All those atoms get turned into heat. Right. Also, on the subatomic level, you see uh, things that are generally defined as energy, as in photons, for instance, colliding in certain ways as to produce uh, material decay, material radiation decay. So we see this law going both ways. Here's the problem for that, is that... We observe that mass exists, and we observe that energies exist, but the laws that we're loading into the model to tell us how we came to be are making a supposition that mass and energy can't be created, nor destroyed, right? And yet here we are. So there's three possible states of the universe. Very simply, the first possible state is that we don't exist. I think this is foolish. It, it's certainly non-utilitarian. Do you mean like we exist in, like in a simulation? Or that, that's a more elegant way to put it. Okay. But if, you, if you, we exist in a simulation, then you get into the unmoved mover problem. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because who made the simulation and where did they come from? Right. So it's it's functional from it's a Gary simulation point of It's Gary on his PC. Right. We're but Civ 5. It's not, it's not functional for us. I'm with you. And, and as you iterate backwards through plethora of simulations that we might be living in it's not functional at their at base reality either mm. okay so enough of that the second possible situation is that we've always existed this doesn't work and it's complicated why it doesn't work i'll try and elucidate it here quickly this is yeah this one's been proven though i think like like science uh, science completely oh, is the science isn't completely clear on yeah, it. yeah yeah whereas like we couldn't necessarily prove the other like yeah you can't well you can't prove a negative right right but here's the problem is that we experience time yep we're moving through the fourth dimension the iPhone came out in like what 2000 2001 somewhere around there okay yeah, why didn't I know it come out saying. why didn't it come out in 1999 right why didn't it come out in 1900 the answer is because there was a there was a critical path of chain of events that had to occur before the iPhone the technology was ready and the invention was made to create the iPhone yep right if we had always existed there is no there's the chain of events that critical path has no beginning date you've you've ripped the bottom out from the beginning date of that critical path of chain of events right it would fall endlessly backwards in time yeah. and so the iphone would have come out 100 years ago then 200 years ago then 300 years it ago it would right? always have been coming here's out here's the point 
yeah, you enter into a singularity of time. That is yep. obviously not what we experience. Correct. And so it is not the state of the universe. The third option is Just that, one thing, real fast. Yeah. For a long time, uh, science was actually trying to prove that there wasn't a beginning to the universe because they thought it actually would disprove the existence of God. And it's one of the things that actually sure. changed in the theory is when they could no longer deny that there was a beginning of the universe. Which maybe that's a little bit of goalpost moving on the... On the religious side, but it, it could be. I, I don't think when you read Genesis, which hopefully we get into, I don't think when you read Genesis, there's any doubt that the universe entered into existence. Sure. Um, yeah. 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 At any rate, moving on from that, the last option is that we go through periods of existence and non-existence, and, and that's the one that is the scientific, the scientifically prudent as well as the observed reality that we see. It's really the only option. Here's the problem though. What we just proved out logically is that matter goes through periods of existing and non-existing. So does space, so does time. Yep. It's the only way that we could exist in a world like this one as we observe it. And so we know that at some point in the past, the laws of physics, specifically the laws of thermodynamics were Irre irrevocably broken, right? Matter was created. Matter was created. And space was created. And time was created. Heat All of these created. things were Energy. created. Yep, Energy, yep, yep. Right. Yep. And so the problem that comes up is how can you say, how can you use the rule that mass, energy, space, time can't be created, can't be destroyed? How can you use that rule to study when that rule was broken? Exactly. You can't. It's illogical. Yep. So the truth is, there's an equal likelihood that the universe started 13.4 uh, trillion years ago as there is that the universe started sometime in the middle of this sentence that I'm saying right now. Yep. And we were simply backfilled with all of the memories and matter and energy and things that we see around us, they're equally as likely. What I'm saying is there's no good way to study the past. So anyone that tells you that they know how we got here is lying. Is lying, effectively. If, especially if they're coming at it from a scientific point of view. They're waving their economic, or I'm sorry, not their economic, they're waving their scholastic hammer around not being honest with the shortcomings of the techniques that we use to study the past. I hope I did that justice. Yeah, good in job. A short amount of time. No, I think you did a good job there. I think that, I think that's I think that's important because this is one of those things that's such a heated topic, and there's so much that goes about it that is just like so many people want to believe they have the right idea here. Sure. And especially when we we from a scientific perspective, there's there's a really really hard there's almost this dogishness that's like no we can tell we can tell you exactly how the universe became and how we got here and how this thing happened it's like oh yeah no really scientist worth their salt i feel like should be telling people that an observed an unobserved experience can be clearly explained by science well, it, it's clearly outside of the realms of what science is meant to do exactly right and i weren't uh, by the way I love science. Love it. It's I, good. I'd like to think that I know a lot more science than maybe your average person. I definitely keep myself up at nights trying to understand it enough. Yeah. But the point is that this isn't a rejection of science. No. It's a proper application of it. Yes. Science is, the whole point is observable and repeatable. And if you forego those intrinsic qualities of it, then what are you actually talking about? Right. You're talking about little bit, a little more than faith backed up by some kind of uh quasi quasi mysticism and what's the right word uh, upholding this sacred cow of science that has no actual bearing on what science legitimately is so I think no matter what's your perspective here the proper the proper stance to start with is you don't know you're right no one can know and we're all looking at the same data and, and drawing conclusions from it sure well yeah. we should be at least we should be at least okay so that's that's that the the contemporary wisdom and this is precisely what I've been kicked out of physics classes for is that the universe there was a big bang event where did the material for the big bang come from they're suspiciously silent on it well it's aliens or <laughs> it's outside the universe which i mean like those are not terrible ideas they're just you but, know those are also relatively new ideas the those, aliens those, and the and string theory. Those those ideas come earlier than uh, string theory doesn't try and explain why. 
Um, sure. But it just tries to create a theory. Aliens How? or the simulation, those kind of things. Those yeah. are fairly new explanations of the Big Bang. And what's so hilarious to right. me about it is that, no, there's no creator. No, there's no creator. No, there's no creator. Uh, well, we looked at the data. There might be a creator. There might be a creator. And let's call it an alien instead, you know? Let's call it an alien. Let's call it Let's call it an act of something outside of our space-time continuum. Right. But parallel. It, and, yeah. At any rate, there was this huge expansion. There was a... Uh, hot soup of subatomic particles yep. uh, that solidified into electrons, then solidified into hydrogen, then solidified into helium. Those gathered together, they created big clumps. These clumps turned into stars. Stars got very hot. They started nuclear uh, fission. Parties. In their, in their at a smaller size, and then the core, they started nuclear fusion. The nuclear fusion would eventually break down. The crust of the star would fall towards the center. They would contract rapidly, form denser chemicals, endo, uh, endothermic reactions would occur. They would explode, they'd blast this material all through space. Millions of years later, here we are with our carbon-based system. With our okay. cars and our iPhones. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sons. That, to me, is plausible in a weird way. Not in a world where we experience entropy so much, but uh, suffice to say, it's not very sophisticated and it's not based on anything less than faith so with that being said i think we should get into something that we actually believe more or less okay and that would be genesis okay now sure. let's hedge our bets here a little bit yeah in the original hebrew genesis is a poem you know mm -hmm. i don't know if it's meant to be taken literally or not as far as a... Well, no one can know, right? Right. Uh, that's the point. But yeah. as far as a... But I think a lot of but fundamentalist that's like saying Christians you, get hung up here. Well, that's like saying, like, you can't know truth from po poetry. You know? And, and you're going to bring up a really interesting point here, which is, like, you know, a lot of fundamentalist Christians have problems with I also think there's a lot of problems on this from people on the other side that say well it's all just a story if that right. sort of makes sense and I, I really don't like either of those camps I think there's a lot of problems with both of those ideas as far as a doctrinal point yeah. to make here's the thing do you believe that God can do it right oh, yeah and, sure and if you believe that he can then I'm not positive that it actually matters that you know how um, the thing okay. that I see some fundamentalists doing is that, no, this is what it says. If this isn't true, none of the Bible is true. Right. And, and you have to throw the whole thing out. I think that's putting the cart before the horse. At the same time, to say that God is the instigator, but he's constrained by science, that he that you then believe he created. It's just not a sophisticated so, way to look so at here's, it So here's the thing that's interesting, though. The fundamentalists have an actually interesting argument here which is like if you throw out the story of creation and you don't accept it by faith their their idea is that it happened exactly as it said and if you don't believe it throw out the entire bible because that's what satan likes to do he wants to show you that this part isn't true and then you believe everything isn't true sure and the thing about that that's really interesting is because we've lived in a world that is so scientifically advanced that actually turns out to be true because what happens, is, it, it, it's not, it's more like functionally true. As a lot okay. of people look at, a lot of people look at the story in Genesis and go, oh, that's poppycock. You know, that obviously can't. Hunter, watch your language. I know, I'm being, uh, yeah. I know that's, that's obviously not true. The Bible can't be true. Why would I believe anything else? And it's like, it's, the fundamentalists are incorrect in their assessment that because the story of Genesis ah, potentially couldn't be true, that means the Bible isn't true, but the pathway that they've seen their children follow is functionally true in this instance. Right, necessarily true. Yeah. And that's why I say the most important point is if you believe that he can, then why do you protest, right? And, sure. And for me, what I see is I see a bunch of, fundam I, I see a bunch of fundamentalist Christians unwilling to examine the world around them unwilling to examine why they believe what they believe and I think that that's deadly and yeah. then I see a bunch of armchair Christians saying that well God maybe he did it but he did it with science and why can't we all just get along and now you know I can understand the world it's this weird human centricism that comes back out after a point when you've declared that you're not the prime reality you're not the the 
prime observer in the universe, and I think that that's kind of stupid too. Yeah. So I see a lot of lack of examination for expediency on both sides. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues here, and I think I I think that's I th- I think I maybe took you away from your original thing that you wanted to go down here, but I I think it's I like a, where we went. I like where we went here too. I I think it's important to say, but people's I guess in modern day American Christendom or really worldwide Christendom. You know, this is this is a the story of Genesis is something that I think we don't necessarily know how to interpret in a modern context or the postmodern context rather. So let me let me put out a couple of objection non-objectionable points about what Genesis is. Okay. At the at the at one level of analysis, it's a creation myth. I object. I imagine you would, honey. <laughs> at one yes, level of course of analysis, it is. It's a creation myth. Yeah. Now, the thing about myths and legends is that they were told for specific reasons. The idea that just because it's not real, it's not historically true, right. that it doesn't contain deeper truths is is intellectual laziness. Yeah, exactly. Like That's, there's so many st- cultures with cosmogonies that do more than just tell the story of how the world became to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, specifically Genesis, the, there is truth in Genesis that is is so up-to-date and so ground-shaking that the fact that these literal savages locked into it is... Bizarre. It takes a lot of faith to believe that that happened naturally mm. of humans. Here's the second piece. That the story in Genesis is commiserate in many ways, subtly different, but in many ways the same as the Illumilish, Enumilish, ancient Sumerian. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. Written in cuneiform. Um, it is, it, it's very similar. Story. And the thing about the, yeah, the Enumilish is that it's the oldest story we have. Right. Um, that we know of. That we know. But. That we have, we have ready access and possession to. Right. We know people told this to other people because it was written down. Probably it was a story eventually written down in cuneiform. Yeah, exactly. Probably oh. there's a story before that, but we don't know of it because we don't have evidence of it. Right. And it was found in the 1800s. It was written in cuneiform with, you know, pointed reeds on seven tablets. <laughs> and it it is as far as we know, the oldest creation myth, the oldest story that exists. Yeah. And the similarities to it uh, between it and Genesis are really enlightening. When you get into it, yes, there is a little bit of lack of sophistication on the Illumilish part. Enumalish. You'll get there. It's just going to be a tongue twister for me for the rest Illumilish. of my life. Illumilish. Enuma. Enumalish. 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 I'm uh, done. <laughs> at any rate, there are some there are some similarities. Uh huh. And here I'll put it this way: it's not obvious to me that it's not the same story. Now, one of them is a story told through a more pagan lens with, you know, a, a monotheistic deity rising out of a plurality of old gods um, and also in contact with these other personified beings, which are the, you know, the cosmos personified in these two ancient beasts. Yeah. Um, but... So, so there's a lack of sophistication in the way they, st- they tell the story, but the story remains effectively the same. Um, anyway, do you want to get into it? Do you yeah. want to get into the Enumilish? Yeah, I also want to just say how interesting it is that the first story that mankind has of itself actually deals with this fundamental question that we've been dealing with for, like, at this point, in writing for, like, s- is it six or 10,000 years? I can't remember. Oh, heck story. it. I don't know. But you get what I'm saying is, like, this is such an interesting thing that this is like the this is it essentially like people are asking you know this culture and this society how did we get here and why are we here and right? why are we here and and they're like they're they're puzzled by it they're trying to work out this problem and this you could think of is um, huma- one of humanity's first attempts to answer this question and mm-hmm. a very uh, from a maybe from their own standpoint possibly you know it's just it's just bizarre yeah right um. All right, so so you're absolutely right. Nothing's changed. I mean, that's what the modern science departments at the universities do, day in day out. I was How a part we, of some yeah. of it at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, oh man, just really doxed myself there. Here we go, boys. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, let's let's just talk about what the enumilish says. So, 
the Enumelesh starts. The, it's called the Enumelesh because it it starts out with uh, the words Enumelesh, which mean from on high, which is kind of cool. Very um, cool. This idea of something exalted. Yeah. So that's how it begins, and it tells the story of the two ancient primordial gods. Abzu. Absu and Tiamat, yeah. or Tiamat, yeah. either way. And so, Absu and Tiamat are these personified ideas, basically. Right. Tiamat is the god of chaos. Goddess. The goddess of chaos, it, thank you. It's an important clarification. <laughs> it's also interesting, we'll get into why it's interesting later, but she she's also the god of salt water. Yep. You see, when the, when the ancient Sumerians envisioned the world, they saw... Basically, a, a, imagine a globe. And the globe was surrounded on all sides by salt water. Now, if you look up in the sky, it's blue. If you go to the sea, it's blue. They actually believed that there was salt water above the heavens. And that's what gave them their blue color behind the sky. Yep. Right? And then down below. And so, Tiamat uh, was, was the god that r- ruled over the, the beyond, outside. Now, inside, they found fresh water. And fresh water, of course, was water that you could build civilization next to. It was water you could drink. And so it was, it was not a wild, uninhabitable place. It was a place for civilization and order. And so Absu represented fresh water. And he was the god of order, more or less, yeah. right? So, so they, they're at the beginning of time, they're locked together in a in a effectively another dimension is basically how it breaks down and they're locked in a sexual embrace with one another yep. kind of continuously um, it's actually the the imagery where we get the um, what's it called the yin yang symbol from oh is it they're okay. locked in this like reverse head head to feet orientation okay you guys use your imagination sometimes ancient Samaria can be hot Oh no! Um, <laughs> so anyway, they're locked in this sexual embrace. Yep. Chaos and, and order. Yep. And uh, like the yin yang. Exactly like that. Yep. And then uh, Absu departs. He can, you know, order leaves Tiamat, and Tiamat is left alone with her constituency, which are this pantheon of old gods. Uh, they they have a. They're essentially demons, correct? Well, no, not necessarily. Oh, are They're, we... Oh, we're talking... Oh, this is later in the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, okay. you're jumping ahead. Yep, it's yep, this yep. pantheon of old gods. And let me tell you about what was happening in ancient Samaria at the time. There was... There was... This is like the former site of Babylon, basically. Yes. The Babylonian Empire. Yes. So, these people were broken up into little tribes. I mean, we're, we're seriously, you know, Neanderthal, almost. Mm-hmm. And they were fighting with each other, warring with each other. And they all had their own god, effectively. And as they would war with each other, they would, you know, ransack another another tribe, destroy them, and then they would go, aha, our god reigns supreme. They had all different kinds of gods. Um, Earth was a god, Mother Earth. Um, and there, there's, like, the god of the sky, different gods, you know. Uh, at any rate, they would war with each other. Well, eventually, as things progressed, they stopped making war and started engaging with the other cultures. They would have, you know, this group come together uh, with with a different tribe, and they would say, okay, well, maybe our gods can work out together. Maybe they can be friends. Your your god does this, our god right. does this. Maybe they can play nice. Oh, you're the sun god, and we're the crops. Right. We should get along. We should, and then maybe they add three more tribes together yeah. who had three more gods, plus six more from tribes they had, they had assimilated with. So eventually you had this pantheon of gods, right? Yep. A plurotheistic culture. Yep. So anyway, along comes uh, this time when, when Absu leaves, Order leaves, and this is a story that, that they're both telling, because it was an orally translated story, and creating as they go through this process. Yep. And th- what started happening is they were looking at all these different gods, and they were seeing what about each individual tribe's god was similar. And they were abstracting out from it what you might call the ideal god. Right? That yep. was that was kind of their their play. Yep. And so at any rate, 
this replicates itself into the story. Mm -hmm. When Absu leaves, Tiamat became a tyrant. She effectively made a horde of demons, like Hunter was alluding so, to earlier. So I think what's I think a couple of clarifications here, just to help people along. When Absu leaves, he essentially takes the other gods with him, and they live on Absu, right? And the reason the reason for that is because these gods are essentially living within order, right? These children of uh, Abzu and Tiamat, and they're basically like doing some contests with each other, trying to you know trying to see who's greater and seeing who can work together and all that, which Christopher described before. And Tiamat is chaos itself, so chaos leaves. Chaos goes on to the next thing, and this and this kind of brings you up to where you're talking about this army as, uh, of some extent. But this army comes up for a very specific reason, right? So the army, the army of demons, effectively starts slaughtering gods. Um, and is just a tyrant in general of these demigods and the gods got together in their pantheon and they were like what do we do about this what do we do about this tyrant what do we do about Tiamat and the legion of demons that she made uh, the legion of demons by the way was led by the, the head demon called Kangu uh, and one of the gods stepped forward so so one thing that might be just interesting is the reason that Tiamat comes back as a, a fearsome predator to kill them is because the gods living upon Abzu revolt and they and they that's right they revolt and they basically fight against order and when Abzu is murdered by his and Tiamat's children okay, sure. Tiamat is enraged and because and because that's exactly what happens when you get this is important because this is exactly what happens when you get rid of order Chaos sure. and anarchy reign, and so when you're, and this is kind of what's happening when all these cultures meet up and merge together, is because, because, uh, because we don't have order, because we don't know what's the right way to uh, appoint ourselves. War is happening, pain is happening, suffering is happening. People are in a fight amongst themselves. They're fighting demons to some extent. And so, like, this is a very real process that's happening to these people, but it's also happening within the story too of like. We have destroyed order. We don't know what, where, what is the right way to guide ourselves. And chaos is taking us at every turn. Right. What is the right way to defeat it? And, and thank you. I, for, I neglected to mention that the, the Pantheon killed Absu. Yeah, and yeah, That's yeah. what led Tiamat to become this tyrant that was attacking gods, etc. Yep. Because Absu was more or less her, her mated partner, right? Right. Now, the reason that it's important to explain the cultural significance of it, as we're explaining the story, is because I think that when you layer the cultural the cultural significance and the cultural footnotes of what was happening in ancient Samaria at the time on top of the Enumelish, you start to understand the subtle differences between this and the Genesis account. Yeah. And we're not going to have time to get into it today. No. Um, but suffice to say, we'll leave it here. The gods meet together. TMF okay. and Kangu are on the rampage and the gods meet together and they go, what are we going to do about it? And a very special God marches to the front. His name is Marduk. And he says, effectively, I have a plan. And we'll tell you more about it next week. Yeah, guys. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So we've got a few uh, emails this week. Very, very, very appreciated. We have a couple of different things to go through. Um, I think we can read maybe one of them in its entirety because it's kind of short. Also, guys, one thing, if you want to send us an email, we love, love, love that you do that and take the time to reach out to the show. It's really cool to see that and that we're worth your guys' time. We really appreciate that. But if you have a long email, it's hard to put that on the show. So please, if you want to write us a long email, write it to us and we'll respond. But maybe if you want to get like a portion of it on the show, maybe write a little condensed paragraph at the end so that we can put that in. Yeah, yeah. And also just know that our our email is effectively, yeah, that's that's... We assume if you're emailing us that you want to say something on the show. Yes. So uh, we we do read those on the show. We won't say your full name. Correct. Um, okay, here's one from Ben Polk, uh, who's been on the show before. Second Lieutenant, Lieutenant Ben Polk. Polk. Uh, second, I got it wrong. I'm sorry, Army. Dear Master Overlords of the Podcast Verse, I've recently been realizing the dramatic importance that culture plays on a country. Previously, I thought that the laws slash governmental policy shaped culture. Now I think it's the other way around. If that's the case, and feel free to disagree with my premise, where does culture come from? Your sexiest listener. Okay. Uh, so do you want to take this one, and then I'll take uh, the next, and then you take, and then we'll both answer the third? Uh, give or take. I have a, a couple things I want to say about the second one. Okay, okay, sure. At any rate, yes, you're absolutely correct. Politics is downstream of culture, and... Ought to edit this. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. 
politics is downstream of culture. You're, to answer the question, where does culture come from? Culture comes from our shared values and our shared tradition. And that's one of the reasons that this show is being made right now, because I think what you've seen in America, especially at the moment, is a complete destruction of our shared culture and our shared tradition. Uh, I'm talking about things like church, things like... Football. Honestly, yes. I mean, you could talk at length about what's happened to the NFL, etc. We're missing Uh, a lot of cultural milestones. These cultural totems and these cultural um, rites of passage that we used to go through Mm. are becoming more and more non-existent because they're being seen as less and less valuable in a culture that observes the differences in any two traditions as simply a a power differential. So, at any rate, I think that's what it comes from, and I think that's why we're seeing a breakdown of culture right now. Uh, but yeah, it, it's absolutely really good, essential dude. that we, we recognize that, especially as conservatives, and start getting interested in the culture war again. Yeah, There is a, cult, a war for the culture going on, and we've been so passive for so long, I don't think that that's, that's sustainable. Yeah, agreed. Hey guys, welcome back to My Secret Lair. That is about where the audio gods turned their backs on us and forced us to re-record. So we actually had two more emails come in. One is from a listener named Graben. He's actually an old buddy of Hunter and mine. We hadn't talked to him in quite some time. So it was really cool to have him reach out. And we had a fantastic email exchange about a bunch of different topics. Uh, Luckily, he is going to become more local to us yet again in the near future. So we're definitely looking forward to that. At any rate... The one thing that we wanted to center in on, because it was a part of our discussion that I thought was useful for the general audience, was the, a question he posed in regards to socialism versus communism versus democratic socialism. I think way back on like episode two, I kind of flippantly said that there was no difference. And I truly believe that, but it, maybe it's not apparent why. So he was asking, you know, isn't isn't communism a form of a form of government and socialism, a form of economy, or reverse the two, and I don't think so. So I'll give a little bit of the history, and then I'll explain why I don't see a significant or even useful difference in any of these different definitions. So first of all, socialism predates communism, uh, and there was a bunch of different forms of socialism. That's one of the reasons it's hard to define, is because it's been variable since it's instigation. So it predates communism by half a half a century, give or take. And effectively what it means is that the the means to produce goods, the means of production, are owned socially. And that can mean a bunch of different things. It means that it can be owned by a provincial government, they can be owned by a actual commune or they can be owned by a set of guiding documents. Uh, I kind of always think of the the people from Monty Python and the Holy Grail who work in the little mud-gathering commune. It's uh, one of my favorite movies, so go watch it. At any rate, it's, it's a varied term, but basically it means that the means of production are owned by the society, socialism. It's kind of right there in the word. Communism, on the other hand, is specifically in dialogue with Karl Marx or Marxism because it is it was brought to the floor via the Communist Manifesto. Now, the Communist Manifesto lays out not only the system for governance and the re- refractoring of a, the economy to bring about socialism, but it also brings... It brings the story, the narrative, the revolution aspect, which will drive the current, or what was the current, market economic ideology to that place. So communism was kind of like the end goal. Marxism was the whole bourgeois proletariat revolution that leads you to communism, wherein you have the means of production owned by the government. Um, now, here's here's why I don't differentiate between the two. When people say, I'm a socialist, nowadays, they typically don't mean that they believe that they should go and live in a commune alone with a group of people that 
also enjoy enjoy the idea of living in a commune. Typically what they mean is that they want to set up the reigning federal government in such a way that they provide socialist-type programs. For instance, uh, the Democratic Socialists of America, and, and this is, uh, Democratic Socialism is a whole other shade, I'll get into it briefly, but the Democratic Socialists of America want free college for all, they want free health care for all, all of these freebies where we'll all just go to work for no reason, and then we'll collect, you know, a free, a free, um, check from the government with free health care, free food, free benefits, whatever you want. It's the whole, it's the old adage, each according to their ability, each according to their need. And the problem is, is that we all have needs and we all have abilities, but when we get our needs met without our abilities being tested, we tend to diminish our, our abilities. Uh, whether that means not employing them or not even, not even cultivating them, it can go either way. So I say that to say that most of the times nowadays when people say that they're a socialist, they mean that they want the government to follow them to, towards socialism. Well, that's the same as communism. I mean, this is it's specifically what was in AOC's Green New Deal, right? You had a living wage for people who were unwilling to work. You had the government buying interest in the energy sector, which is currently a, a private sector, heavily regulated, but private sector. And you had... Uh, a plethora of other more specific policies wrapped up within it that involved the government owning the means of production and controlling the market. And so that's the the slight variations in ideological mismatch between communism and so communism and socialism in practice don't seem fruitful or logical or reasonable or utilitarian in any way to me. The way that you would set up socialism in America means that you would powder keg all of the means of production in the federal government. And the way that you would set up communism in America means that you would set up all, um, you would powder keg all means of production in the federal government. And then the only difference between democratic socialism and socialism and communism is that they say we have a vote. Uh, however, Many, many socialist dictatorships or communist dictatorships have started out being quote-unquote democratic socialist, and because you give so much power, the entire force, the entire means of production to one governing body, then it's incredibly simple for them to become usurpatious very quickly. So that's my two cents. Feel free to email in on that. I don't see any relevant difference between any three of the terms. So... At any rate, let's call it quits on that email. The last email we got uh, actually was really, really important and special to Hunter and I. This is from one of our listeners named Cody, and I'm just going to read it out, and then I'll address Cody directly, and that'll be the end of the show. So it goes, evening, gents. Really enjoying the podcast as it's been helping me hash out my thoughts and feelings on the world. To be honest, last year was one of the toughest I've experienced due to being laid off then working in construction two hours away from family for the summer to make money. Brackets, the family needs the essentials, of course. Burning through savings, going back to the job I held previous to the one I was laid off from, and then losing my dad just before Turkey Day. Brackets, side note, I now firmly side with Chris on the ranking of the holidays due to this. Uh, there's no, it's unquestionable. Uh, Thanksgiving is the worst. Close brackets. And then I turned 30. I said all of this to say everything I knew about the world was put on its head and I wanted the damn truth. Thank you for helping me, inadvertently and unbeknownst to you, in checking and starting off my thinking. Uh, let me backtrack for just a second. So you wrote that the subject line to this email is in regards to our episode, um, it, The Cave and the Truth, with Ben, our guest. Specifically, why, specifically the question Hunter was asking, why do we spend so much money going to movies and listening to stories? So then he gets into his piece on that part. But to answer the subject of the email, I think part of the answer that Hunter posed in the podcast, The Cave, of, the Cave and the Truth, and why he spent so much on movies lies in Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Great book. Specifically, Rule 11, page 263. He is talking about how we perceive and view everything around us in a simplified manner because we can only see what is enough for us to get by and navigate. Nothing is valueless and we perceive meaning directly. 
i.e. floors to walk on, chairs to sit on, etc. But this is true of the perceptions of ourselves. We assume we end at the end of our skin, so to speak. But we shift that idea to accommodate for things in context, like grabbing a screwdriver in our hand. Our brain adjusts and considers the screwdriver as a part of our body. We can feel things with the end of the screwdriver. We automatically adjust for its length, and we reach out for something as if it was our hands. This extends to other people. We often look at family members as extensions of ourselves. Heck, we look at our cars and objects as part of us as well. Would we rather lose an arm or a leg or a parent, a loved one, or a child? The sacrifice is almost always a no-brainer. That means we do the same with movies and books. We find beauty in those things because we see inherent value in them. We feel everything that the fictional characters feel. We become part of the story. Often, have you said during a book or a movie, I wouldn't have done that. We use these things to help us play out a million different scenarios in our heads before deciding which thing we should really do. I'm oversimplifying, so I would suggest reading that chapter of JBP's book. By the way, Cody, so would I. Fantastic book, uh, 12 Rules for Life. If I don't make much sense. Read the whole book, really. It's quite good and plenty of fuel for thinking. Couldn't agree more. Sorry for the meandering email, but keep talking. People are listening. My guess is y'all from Michigan, but I could be wrong. Best regards, Cody from Northeastern PA. Cody, you could not be more wrong. Seriously, man. We're not from Michigan. But as far as the content of your email, you're spot on. Uh, I think I think you're exactly right. We do see we do see ourselves in stories. You know, it's so funny sometimes when I'm at the movie theater, I instead of watching the movie, I'll just watch somebody else's face. It's funny how directly we relate with the stories that we watch on on the silver screen or even on television. There's times in movies where you'll watch people even mouth the words uh, that the characters are saying, and I've done it myself from time to time. We absolutely see those experiences as an extension of our own psyche and our own brain space. You know, dreams are this very strange thing that we have. They're these stories that our subconscious tells us, and it's, you know, where our the order of our left brain meets with the chaos of our right brain over the corpus callosi, and the right brain feeds us little bits of chaos a bit at a time, and we adjust for it in the left brain, and we go, how would we deal with uh, with this situation? How would we deal with it? And movies, in a way, are the, they're the dreams that we share collectively, and uh, they're strange. They're not as obvious as they seem stories stories have that way uh, with people Uh, as far as the beginning of your email let me just say that i cannot remember a time in the past several years where i have felt so humbled um i really appreciate that you would send us that support and send us you know your story and your honesty uh i hope we are eternally grateful that there's people out there like you that are listening and that find this useful and that we don't let it go to our heads. Uh, so thank you. Um, beyond that, it sounds like you had a hell of a year, man. Uh, I don't know what all those experiences are like. Uh, I'm lucky to still have my father living, but here's what I do know. I know that my aspiration is to, is to be the strongest one when the hard times come. Yeah. And it's great when things are good, but we don't get an opportunity to bear the suffering and the malevolence of this world until things start to get bad. And as far as I can tell, it sounds like you're doing that. You know, you're driving, you know, hours out of your way away from your family to make ends meet and going back to working construction, which I know how hard that can be. Uh, so, Anyhow, thanks for your honesty. Thanks for sharing your story. And uh, keep doing the hard thing. Keep doing the right thing. Keep picking up your cross and taking it up the hill. And we're going to try and do the same over here. Anyway, guys, that'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening to me ramble on here at the end. And what can only be considered utter silence for the typical background noise for this podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Carl Pooling or on Facebook at Carl Pooling Podcast. You can follow Hunter and I on Twitter and Instagram at Emotional Carl and Chris X Carl, respectively. If you want to subscribe to the show, the best place to do that, 
or connect with us in any way or listen to our episodes uh, is at carlpooling.com. We have all our episodes there. Also on the footer of that website, we have links to our uh, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. So you can subscribe to the show directly from there. You can also email us directly from the site. Our email address is carlpooling at gmail.com. If you have something that you want us to read on the show, agree, disagree, want to share a personal story, anything at all, send us an email to that address and we will get back to you and uh, read it on the air. So guys, thanks so much. Lots of people reviewing the show. Please keep that up. Lots of people subscribing. It's fantastic for us. we got great big plans and we are excited that there's a bunch of you guys out there that are excited with us so at any rate thanks very much for listening i'm not going to tell you to get out of the car because i've been out of it for hours now thanks